Welcome to today's program. My name is Rick Renner, and I want to tell you right from the beginning, thank you for all your comments about what I'm teaching in the program this week. All of your comments mean so much to me. And we're teaching the brand new series, which is called The Tragic Mistake of Moral Surrender. I understand that it is so difficult when you have a child or a grandchild or a friend that has really veered from their faith and now they're embracing things that you don't believe. How do you deal with that? They're your child, they're your grandchild, they're your friend, but they're going in a different direction and they're making the tragic mistake of moral surrender. But the worst thing that you can do is just cave to the pressure and follow them. You need to stay on target you need to remain anchored in the Word of God because a day is going to come when they're going to come looking for help. And if you have abandoned what you believe, you will not be able to help them. And as we saw in yesterday's program, if you will draw near to the Lord in intercession, God will deliver them because you prayed. We saw that yesterday. And by the way, if you missed yesterday's program, please go back and see it or order the whole series, The Tragic Mistake of Moral surrender. And the subtitle says, God's promise to people, to people, that's you, who help wandering saints get back on track. This is a very serious teaching, and I want you to hear all of it, and it comes with a wonderful study guide. And right now, we're also offering you my book, which is called Last Day's Survival Guide. I really felt it was fitting for this series, because we're living in the end of the age when people are making really catastrophic decisions morally. And the Bible tells us this is going to happen in a pandemic form at the very end of the age. We need to know how to live successfully at the end of the age. And my friends, we're living in the last days. So we need to have a survival guide. And actually the Bible gives us so much instruction about how to be victorious in any season. But I put it all in this book called Last Days Survival Guide, a scriptural handbook to prepare you for these perilous times. You can order all of these by going online or by giving us a call right now. And when you become a partner with our ministry, we're going to send you two books as our way of saying, welcome to our partner family. We're going to send you my book called Life in the Combat Zone, which is dedicated to partners. It's about surviving, thriving, and overcoming in the midst of any difficult situation, and we want every partner to have this book. And we also send them Denise's book, The Gift of Forgiveness. So if you become a partner with our ministry, we're going to get these right in the mail to you. And my friends, when you become a partner, you're doing something to change somebody else's life. And we all need to get our minds off of ourselves and think about what we can do for somebody else. And when you join hands with us as a partner, and regularly financially give into our ministry. First of all, we're so thankful. We really need you as our partner so we can take the word of God to people. And when you become a partner, you're going to do something beyond yourself to change somebody else's life. That is so powerful. But hey, if you need prayer, we're here for you. We're waiting for the phone to ring right now or for your email to show up in our inbox. So please reach out to us. And the moment the phone rings or your email shows up, we're going to begin to release our faith for God to mightily move in your life. But I'll be back in just a moment. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, 
and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. Reach for your Bible, and today we're going to turn to Revelation chapter 2. And today again, we're looking at the tragic mistake of moral surrender, and particularly moral surrender and embracing inclusivity and tolerance. That's the new term today. You need to be inclusive of everybody. You need to be tolerant of everybody. And the idea is that if you're uncompromising to what you believe, then you are narrow-minded and bigoted. But my friends, the Bible is the Bible, and the Bible is absolute truth. It doesn't mean we have to be disapproving of everybody, but we are not to abandon what the Bible says. And if we appear to be intolerant or not inclusive of everybody, well, I'm sorry, but we love everybody. Jesus died for everybody, but we're not tolerant of everything. We love everybody, but we're going to stick with the Bible even if people say that we're narrow-minded, intolerant, or bigoted. But when we come to Revelation chapter 2, we find that there was a trend in the church in Pergamum to tone it down, to lower the bar, to be more inclusive and more tolerant of others so that Christians there would be perceived in a better light and so they would not be persecuted. That's exactly what we're dealing with today. The Bible is so relevant. But hey, I have an entire series on Revelation chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3 where we go through Christ's words to all of the seven churches. And just for fun, I brought some of the study guides. Look at all these study guides. A study guide on Christ's message to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Laodicea. There are 60 teachings on these seven churches. And if you're interested to know what Christ had to say on an array of subjects that still have application to us today, you need to order all of these and go through it with Brother Rick along with the study guides. But hey, open your Bible to Revelation chapter 2. And today we're going to begin in verse 13. And you're going to see how relevant these verses are for people today who are making the tragic mistake of compromise and surrender. Listen to this. Revelation 2 verse 13. Jesus is speaking to a church that is really suffering persecution. And he says, I know thy works and where thou livest. Isn't that wonderful that Jesus knows where we live? He knows everything we're facing. And then he says, even where Satan's seat is. My friends, the city of Pergamum was such an evil city. And there really was a huge altar there called the throne of Zeus. And from that throne, which sat on the very ledge of the upper city, smoke billowed into the air 24 hours a day. And this is what Jesus is referring to. And Pergamum was filled with so much demonic activity and so many false gods and temples to false gods that it really was a seat of Satan. And it's interesting that it was also the seat of the proconsul or the government of all of Asia. And from that high and lofty place, demonic powers begin to affect the entire region of Asia. And Jesus says, you're living where Satan's seat is. Those were the words of Jesus. How would you like to live in a place that Jesus called Satan's seat? But then he said, Thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith implying they'd had an opportunity to let loose of his name and they'd had multiple opportunities to deny his faith and to back off of their uncompromising position. But they've not denied, they've not walked away, 
And Jesus says, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you. The words in those days is very important because Jesus is pointing to a specific number of days and it was actually a very prolonged period of persecution. And Jesus understood when it began. He understood how long it lasted. And my friends, Jesus knows everything we're dealing with and Jesus says specifically, even in those days, those days, where an Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you. Well, Antipas was probably the first pastor of the church in Pergamum. But what I want you to understand is he was indeed a person, but his name symbolically described what the people in Pergamum generally thought of Christians. It's very important. The word Antipas is a compound of two words. The word anti means against, against. The second part of the word is pas, which means everything. And when you compound the two words together, the name Antipas means one who seems to simply be against everything. It carries the idea of a person, listen, who is antisocial, contrary, noncompliant, intolerant, narrow-minded, nonconformist, inflexible, obstinate, or uncompromising. That is what the people of Pergamum thought about Antipas, a man who would not lower the bar, he would not cave, he would not violate his convictions, but they didn't just think that about Antipas, they thought that about generals, in general, about all Christians, because Christians to them appeared to be antisocial, contrary, noncompliant, intolerant, narrow-minded, nonconformist, inflexible, obstinate, uncompromising, and the pagan world around them were saying, why can't you be more inclusive? Why can't you be more tolerant? Why do you have to be so uncompromising to what you believe? Do you see how fitting this is for what we're dealing with in the world today? And notice that Jesus calls him my faithful martyr. And the Greek words here are so very important. The Greek says, ho martus moi, ho pistus Moi. The Greek really means the martyr of mine, my faithful one. And it carries the idea that Jesus is just so proud of Antipas because he is unbending and he is uncompromising. He has suffered a horrible, horrible death. But in spite of it, Jesus says, I'm proud of him. He is the witness of mine. He is the faithful one of mine. Jesus is laying claim to him as a trophy of what we should all be as believers. And the word witness is a translation of the Greek word martus. It depicts a witness summoned to testify in a court of law. That's what it means technically, but listen to this. It is connected to the ideas of suffering because if a person was called to be a witness, he was required to be faithful to the truth regardless of any possible acts of retribution that might be carried out against him by those who oppose his witness or by those who wish to suppress the truth. In other words, if you stick with what you're saying, we're going to oppose you. And in some way or another, we're going to cancel you. We're going to eliminate you. And this word martus was very important because when a witness was summoned to testify, it was understood that his witness could place him or his loved ones in jeopardy. To be a witness 
required the highest level of integrity and commitment as well as a willingness to sacrifice oneself or one's status to uphold the truth, a very real possibility existed that a person could pay a high price for being a faithful witness. Now let me ask you, are we in the same position today? If you stick with the truth, if you're obstinate and unbending on what you believe, and uncompromising, the world around you will do their best to eliminate you or to cancel you. That's what we're dealing with today in the world. Look how relevant these verses are. And then the verse goes on to say that Antipas was slain among you. The word slain is a horrible Greek word, the word apokteno, which depicts the abrupt taking away of a person's life. They were canceled, they were eliminated. And Jesus says, who was slain among you, among you in Greek means right in your midst, which means... Antipas was martyred in a public, visible location where the entire city would have been aware of this hideous event. Now, let's carry this into our contemporary times, what we're facing today in society. My friends, if you stick with the truth, social media will try to publicly desecrate you, defile you, eliminate you, laugh at you, cancel you. Everybody becomes aware of it when social media suddenly turns on you. Everybody sees it. It happens right in our midst. Well, Antipas was slain among them. Now, how was he slain? Jesus says, apekteno. It was grisly. It was brutal. It was gruesome. And what they did is on the Acropolis of Pergamum, there was a huge idol, which was a bronze bull. It was hollow on the inside, but it had a door on the side. And this bronze bull was used multiple times in history in the city of Pergamum, not just for Antipas, but always for believers. And the bull was a symbol of something that you would offer to the gods. This was the highest sacrifice you could give to the gods. Well, what they did in the case of Antipas and others was they bound him. They opened the side of the door on that bronze bull, put him inside, locked it. He was bound inside the bronze bull. They set a fire under it, and they literally cooked him to death inside that bronze bull. And there were musical pipes in the head of the bull so that when the person being fried would begin to cry out in pain, rather than hear the cries and the screams of the sufferer, his voice would go through those pipes, and it would make it sound like the bull was literally coming to life. It was considered one of the greatest sacrifices you could offer to the gods. And when the victim was finished being burned, they would open the side door to the bull, take out his bones, cut them into pieces, polish them, and turn them into beads to be worn in jewelry so that you literally wore beads made of bones of that believer who was martyred inside the bronze bull. And indeed, it was brutal. It was grisly. It was a horrific and gruesome death. And that is exactly what Antipas experienced because he was uncompromising and inflexible when it came to his faith and to what he believed. And I want to tell you that in general, Christians were viewed as Antipas, just being against everything. For example, Christians refused to participate in the circus because of the horrific treatment of human beings 
that occurred there. When we hear the word circus, we think of three rings and clowns and people on bicycles, but the circus is where all the chariot races occurred, and that is where many Christians were killed for their faith, and many slaves were treated barbarically by others, and Christians who believed they'd been dispatched into the world with a saving, healing, redeeming message just did not believe it was appropriate for them to sit and applaud when people were treated so horrifically, so they stayed away from the circus, and the world around them said, what is wrong with these Christians? Can't they just blend in and be like the rest of us? Christians also declined participation in the theater, because the theater was a place where depravity and some pretty raunchy things took place on the stage. And my friend, I want to tell you that if you think the movies today are raunchy, and deplorable. It's nothing new. It's always been that way, even in the first century when the, Jesus was speaking these words. Disgusting sexual things were carried out on the stage, and it's interesting that actors were called the lowest of the low because they were willing to do anything on the stage to get the applause of the people and the theater, and actors and actresses were associated with the god Dionysus, who was the god of revelry, drunkenness and orgies, all of that was a part of the theater scene. So Christians said, we just can't do that. We've been redeemed from that. That's who we used to be. Now we cannot go and watch that for entertainment. We have to stay away from that. Christians refused to attend athletic events. You said, well, why? Because athletic events were carried out in the nude. And Christians believed this nudity was a shame. Therefore, they stayed away from athletic events. Christians stayed away from the bathhouses. Well, that's serious because everybody needs a bath. But in the bathhouses, a lot of sexual things took place which were prohibited by God. So Christians said, you know what? We just can't go there and sit in the bathhouses while all these things are going on around us. And Christians were viewed generally as being unpatriotic. This was very serious. Number one, because they would not burn incense to the emperor, which means they would not conform to the government's demands. And number two, they wouldn't go to the temples because that's where sacrifices were being made to the gods. There was a lot of demonic activity there and also sexual situations. So Christians stayed away. But hey, the temples were also where all the parties and festivities took place. And in the mind of the secular world, they thought, what is wrong with these Christians? Why can't they just do what the government is asking? Why can't they just blend in and be a little bit more like us? So Christians were viewed as Antipas, just against everything. But then when you come to Revelation 2.14, Jesus said, but I have a few things against you. The word have, the Greek word echo, I have, I hold, I possess. It carries the idea of something Jesus really deeply, deeply feels. The word against is the Greek word kata, which really means I have a strike against you. And he tells us why. Because you have there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. The word hold is the present active participle of kratos, which depicts a powerful grip or a refusal to let go. But it lets us know that Christ has already been dealing with this group, telling them to let go of this wrong doctrine, but they won't let go. So Jesus says you have them there that are constantly holding on to, they're still gripping the doctrine of Balaam. And what was the doctrine of Balaam? Who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols. The word stumbling block, the Greek word scandalon, it's where we get the word for a scandal.
He describes a trap that was used to entrap an animal, and here it is, the idea of entrapment. He taught Balak how to entrap God's people, the children of Israel, to eat things that were sacrificed unto idols, and here is what Balaam taught Balak. Balaam said, you know what? I don't have the power to curse the children of Israel. There's no enchantments. There's no divination that can be used against the men of Israel. So let's get the men of Israel to lower their bar morally. Let's get them to make the tragic mistake of moral surrender. They'll do it by themselves, and that will cause divine judgment. And the Bible tells us that in Genesis chapter 25, 1 to 3, he had instructed Balak, to send the naked Moabite women out in front of the children of Israel. And the Bible says, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. They knew better than that. And they called unto the people, unto the sacrifice of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. That's moral surrender. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, which means they blended in, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Listen to this. Number one, they called the men of Israel to the sacrifices of their gods, which means the men of Israel lowered the bar. They begin to cave or they begin to be so tolerant that they came to the place where sacrifices were being offered to the gods. Number two, the men ate what they should not have eaten. They entertained and participated in things which God categorically said was wrong. Number three, they bowed down to the gods. They accommodated what God despised. Israel morally surrendered. And the Bible says in Revelation 2.15, So hast thou them that hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. The word Nicolaitans is a translation of the Greek word Nicholas, Nicolaus, Nike means to conquer. Laus is the word for the people or the laity. When you compound the two words together, the word Nicolaitans describes them that conquers the people. And whatever the Nicolaitans was teaching, it was bringing a conquering to the people of God. And they were teaching, are you ready for this? Inclusivity and tolerance. That's what they were teaching. Let's quit being so separate. Stop this. The world thinks of us as being antisocial. Let's quit talking about everything that's wrong and just become more inclusive of everybody. Lower the bar, blend in. Then people in the world won't think that we're so antisocial. And Jesus says he hates this doctrine and he hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And the word hate, my friend, is the Greek word messiah, which means to hate, to abhor, to find utterly repulsive. It describes a deep-seated animosity, an intense hatred, a repugnance, something that causes one to feel disgust, repulsion, a deep-seated aversion. It is not just dislike, it is actual hatred. Jesus did not say he hated the Nicolaitans. He doesn't hate anybody. We're not to hate anybody, but he hated their deeds and he hated their doctrine. These faulty beliefs result in a powerless, weakened version of Christianity where sin is tolerated, separation is ignored, and the need for ongoing repentance is disregarded. My friends, it pulls the plug on the power of the gospel.
And here we find from the mouth of Jesus himself that there is a level of inclusivity and tolerance that he finds to be utterly disgusting. And my friends, when we feel pull from our family and pull from our friends and pull from our kids to accommodate everything that is around us, we need to remember the words of Jesus to the church of Pergamum in Revelation chapter 2. I'll be back in just a moment, and I want to pray for you. We live in a day when many people are modifying their beliefs and tossing their faith to the wind to accommodate their family and friends. Even though these believers once stood firm on the Word of God, they are surrendering to the woke atmosphere in society today to stay in relationship with loved ones who have changed what they believe. What should you do? If your spouse, children, or friends have changed their beliefs and you now feel distance between yourself and them, in this five-part series, The Tragic Mistake of Moral Surrender, Rick Renner covers. The Tragic Mistake of Moral Surrender, Moral Surrender for Opportunity, Moral Surrender and Embracing Inclusivity and Tolerance, Moral Surrender for Society's Acceptance, God's promise to people who help wandering saints get back on track. This powerful series is available in digital or physical formats, starting at just $10. In addition to this teaching series, you can also get the book, Last Day's Survival Guide, a scriptural handbook to prepare you for these perilous times for $25. In this practical 478-page book, Rick Renner unlocks prophecy about the last days and shows you what you need to do to sail through these turbulent times victoriously. We believe you need this book. Don't miss this powerful offer. The five-part series, The Tragic Mistake of Moral Surrender, and the book, Last Day's Survival Guide. These materials can make a big difference in your life or in the lives of those you love. Call the number on your screen now or go to renner.org to order. Call or go online now. Hey friends, this is Rick Renner and right now, I'm standing in what's going to be the future studio for our television ministry in Moscow, Russia. Who would have ever believed that we would be broadcasting the Word of God from Moscow to the ends of the earth, but that's exactly what's happening. Romans 10:18 says their words will go into all the world, their voice to the ends of the earth, and it's really happening. And my friends, we're constructing the studio. Look at it. The walls are starting to go up. And within just two weeks, this entire building will be standing with the roof, the doors, the windows, everything. And then the work begins on the interior. And I get so excited thinking that right where I'm standing is where I'm going to be seated looking into the camera to teach the Word of God to people all over the world who are crying out and who are saying, God, please send us someone with teaching that we can trust. I believe that's our assignment. Proverbs 10:21 says, the lips of the righteous feed many. And I know our job is to feed many the Word of God, and we do it because of the anointing and because of your help as partners. Thank you for being part of the giving team that's making this come to pass. And if you're not already a part of the giving team, please, would you pray about joining us to help us make this dream become a reality? We're off to a good start, but we need to finish and we need as many people as possible to participate. So I welcome you to our giving team and I thank you in advance for everything that you're going to do.
My friend, be sure to get my series called The Tragic Mistake of Moral Surrender. It comes with a study guide, and we're also offering you right now my book called Last Day's Survival Guide, a scriptural handbook to prepare you for these perilous times. And please reach out to us for prayer so we can put our faith together with you. But Father, we thank you that the Word of God is the Word of God, and we are to be uncompromising when it comes to absolute truth. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll see you tomorrow. But remember, Ecclesiastes 8.4, where the word of a king is, there is power.